Welcome to Groove Therapy, the premier podcast exploring the intersection between live music and health and wellness with experts Dr. Leah Taylor and Tara Lee Weathers. In this podcast, you will learn how live music positively affects well-being through a combination of scientific research and personal experience from your hosts, favorite musicians, industry professionals, and fans like you. Also included are strategies to incorporate the benefits of live music into your everyday life. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Groove Therapy Podcast. Hey, Tara Lee. Hey. (laughs) Hey. Yay. So today we have a very... Oh, I will say happy 2023. I know you may be listening to this at a different time, but this is officially our first hello and welcome to 2023. My gosh, you guys, we made it. We did. We did. And I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about this year. Yeah, I am too. I mean, we already have spring fish dates all along California or the West Coast, I will say. (laughs) And at New Year's, Trey didn't get stuck. So I feel like that's a good omen. I loved the New Year's gag. Oh, me too. I was not there in person, but I was watching at home. And actually, I... So I live on the West Coast and... So it's really nice to watch East Coast New Year's <laughs> shows because I could watch that and then I could actually go out to a show myself, you know, see most of it. I think I got there like right before set break. But I ended up watching the whole fish show because I was just like so enthralled. And I'm not like I watch streams, but I'm not a huge like, oh my God, the stream's on. I have to watch the whole thing. And like, I'd rather experience a show in person if I have the option. But I loved the gag and it just like when we talk and maybe we could do a whole episode on this, but there is a part of music that activates the nostalgia part of our brain. Yeah. And they absolutely did that for the gag. Oh my gosh. I was screaming at the TV the whole time. I didn't watch it live, but I watch YouTube videos when I do workouts. And so Mm -hmm. like all of last week, I pretty much was just watching it over and over again when I did a work. It's the exact amount of time as my workout is. So it's kind (laughs) of perfect. And two of my really good friends, Amanda and Josh, are right behind the stage. And I see them the Mm. whole time. So I'm like, there's Amanda. Oh, there's like the famous Mockingbird. Oh my gosh, roll that. Like I just like, Mm -hmm. I yell every time because it gets me so excited and it brings me back to the times I actually saw that in real life. And then it it just makes my day better. And then we watched it after a potluck party with two people that were there. And that was Mm. so fun because we were like, what Mm -hmm. was that like? And they were like, explaining and it was just really cool. Yeah. That's so awesome. Good job, Fish. Yeah. Yes. But today we are here to talk to Paige Clem. We're talking a lot about the fellowship, which is a group of clean and sober folks who meet up at fish shows. And I cannot wait for you all to hear Paige's story about how the fellowship came to be. It's so cool. Uh, it's the magic is normal. I talk about magic is normal. I mean, we all do, but that is when like something amazing happens and you're just like, yeah, like I went to college. If someone was like, that's crazy. You graduated for college. It's like, no, I put in a lot of hard work and that's normal. So mm-hmm. her whole story is so magical and so normal. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So can't wait for you to hear that. And then I'll just briefly say that Paige is an amazing human being. I mean, as you will hear from this podcast, just like how much she brings into her life and into the live music scene. She is a musician herself. She has her own album called Firefly, which she talks a little bit about. She plays with other bands in the Bay Area. She's a songwriter. She's a singer. She plays guitar. And she's done a lot in the music industry as far as organizing. She talks about how, you know, she would look for any job with the word music in it because music just brings so much joy and satisfaction into her life. So she's a beautiful human being. And I'm really excited for you to hear more about her and the fellowship as well. Yeah, it's such an incredible interview. Again, you are in for such a treat. And you are definitely going to have the biggest crush on this woman because she is just (laughs) so amazing in so many ways. So before we get to all that crushing, 
<laughs> Let's take a moment to arrive and be present. So if it's available to you, put your hands on your heart. And if not, we'll just breathe together. Take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale out your mouth. A deep breath in. Exhale out. A deep breath in. And exhale out. And may you feel present and open to all the magic that is about to unfold for you while listening to this podcast. And so it is. And so it is. All right. Well, let's get to it, right? We should bring on Paige. Here we go. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. And we have Paige here with us now. Welcome, Paige. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Yeah. So with it in mind that people kind of are starting to think about maybe what is best for them or what is going to work well for them and knowing that they're also live music fans and that live music comes with a lot of partying as an option, certainly not as an expected thing, then I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about specifically the fellowship, which is something that you helped to create in the fish community that has been going for a really long time now. When I know it was like 98, 97. Six was the first times we had tables on tour. So yeah, it's crazy. It's how many years, years is that? <laughs> it's yeah, like 20... 25 or something. <laughs> Who can do math? 26. Yeah, I know because I graduated high school in 1995 and I think it's a, <laughs> like 25. That is a very long time. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the beginning of the fellowship. Like who came together to create it? What was the inspiration behind it? Was it easy to get it started? Did you guys have a lot of, you know, support in that? Was it a difficult road? Oh yeah. Those are those are great questions. It's a it's a fun story to tell. It was definitely a journey. For me, I used and drank and partied a lot when I was in high school and have a family history of addiction. And so for my own reasons, I decided to quit using quit all substances when I was actually still in high school. So I was really young. I'm fortunate in that I had a lot of recovery in my family as well. And so I kind of knew the path to take and and that worked really naturally for me. That's maybe a, a bit more of the exception, not the norm, but I did yeah. get clean and sober really young, but also loved music and saw the Grateful Dead. And even while I was kind of out there still partying, I I got exposed to the idea of the war frats. And I was one of those like kind of classic scenarios where you're like at a show and you're high and you like spin into this group of people and what's going on here? And why is everybody <laughs> chanting or whatever? You know, and, like <laughs> these guys seem great. And uh, so that was kind of my, you know, and I found out what it was about and I was like, oh, that's cool. And that was kind of that. And then I ended up, you know, getting sober myself and always loved music and through a, a set of circumstances that are probably a whole other podcast, I, I got introduced to fish. Mm-hmm. And I will say like when I was young, my first couple of years of getting clean and sober as a teenager, like I was pretty protected. Like I I made sure to spend a lot of time around other people that were also clean and, and was a little nervous about like going out and doing, you know, party type things. Mm-hmm. But little by little, I got more comfortable and you know, knowing that I could be in these environments and and still stay clean. And so I ended up going to my first fish show. And I was realizing, so we're about a month away from my 30 year anniversary of my first fish show. So that's... When uh, was your first fish show? It was 220... Mm. Uh, 93. So not too, twi- like so that, that was that crazy run at the Roxy that everybody talks about. I was the middle show. So, mm. so that was a really, really <laughs> amazing evening. I was instantly hooked. And I'll say that like, you know, I did see the Grateful Dead and, and did a lot of that while I was kind of actively partying. And so when I got clean and sober, I kind of like let, it was almost like I, I wasn't comfortable going back into that environment. And so when I got to see fish, it was like fresh and new and didn't have this sort of like using baggage on it for me. And so I just really gravitated towards it and started going to shows with some other 
friends that that were also clean and sober. And so we would, you know, kind of immediately got the bug and started driving around to any shows within 500 miles. And had they been before? Is that how you ended up at the show? Did you go with that group of friends or did you all no, kind of discover to remember together? How, I think it was one of those like, you know, passing tapes around and, mm. you know, like listen to this band and, you know, we were into whatever was around. I can't, like, I remember like a, it was a friend at school that I first heard about fish with okay i'll tell you it's just because it's it's brief <laughs> journalism class this guy aaron lazar was sitting behind me and i'm like working on whatever and i hear him behind me going pleaser with the tweezer and i'm just like ew what, what are you talking about that's <laughs> disgusting and like and then somehow it came up that it was this band fish and then i don't i don't remember what happened after that but that was literally my first introduction was aaron lazar singing pleaser with a tweezer in my ear in in class anyway you know and then when you're in that like deadhead hippie high school you know you you're in that crowd and mm-hmm. everybody's just you know finding the next thing that's going on so after going to a couple of shows and this will, this will get kind of long-winded, but it's still kind of a fun story. I was at a show, I think it was somewhere in like North Carolina, South Carolina, and we were coming out of the show. I was with a sober friend and there's like some recovery stickers that are kind of like, you know, little signs that you know that that person's sober. And we saw a sticker on a car in the parking lot, like with fish stickers and recovery stickers. And it was like, hey, mm-hmm. that person's like us, you know, and like, like there's got to be other people like us here. How do we find them? And we got in the car, we were talking about it. It was like, maybe we could, you know, that's like the wharf rats for Grateful Dead. Maybe we could do something like that. And what would it be like? And we drove, this was like driving all through the night from South Carolina, I think it was, back to Alabama, you know, the all night burn. And we just brainstormed on it. Started talking about like, well, what would it, you know, how could we do it? And we could write the band and this and that. And and brainstormed on names too. And I was like, well, be, you know, at that point, it's like, ooh, anything you can spell with a PH is amazing. <laughs> so I was trying to think of like recovery related terms. And in 12 step rooms, they talk about the fellowship a lot, like the, you know, and they talk about like that sometimes you, what you were seeking out there, you can kind of like substitute the fellowship of recovery. And so that name just seems to be kind of perfect. And we got back. I was in college in Auburn, Alabama, and I, I wrote the band and told them my idea. And I got a postcard back at some point. And this is like, I mean, which I love because this is like, this is before email and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I literally had a handwritten letter, <laughs> put it in the mailbox. And I, I still have the postcard that I got back. Yeah. And it basically said, you know, the band, although we support your idea and appreciate it, we choose to not get involved. Mm-hmm. And you should just try like doing something on the fishnet. And so at this point, this was like 94, I think. So I go and get on the fishnet mm-hmm. and I started posting like looking for wharf rats or, you know, to clean and sober people to try to start this organization. And, you know, that was an interesting place to be back then, like the, uh, the, the birth of the, the forums, you know, there's mm-hmm. trolls back then too. <laughs> and, um, Basically, like I, I posted some things that was like, you know, if this relates to you, respond, if not, just ignore. And every now and then, like somebody would pop up and be like, oh, I'm sober too. And like, let's do this. And then there were some people that were like, you know, you're preaching. And mm-hmm. anyway, I've, I've got copies of all that stuff too. So, um, <laughs> so all of that to say, like, I started to find a couple of people here and there. And we started to try to work on formulating a group and like, when can we meet and where can we meet? And the wharf rats used to meet behind the soundboard or no, behind, behind the stage. Like if, like if you're in an arena, that's how mm-hmm. you can find, you always go to this one location. Mm-hmm. And so we started to try to do that like informally at, at certain shows. And I think like for me, it was the first time that there was like some kind of actual gathering that we were trying to all meet up was at the Clifford Ball actually, where I was like meeting with some of the people that I had met on the internet, which ended up being really hard to figure out how to do without a lot of resources there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, there's a tangential story here. That's kind of me, like 94, 95, 96, working with just meeting random people and trying to figure out how to kind of like do these little tiny things at shows. At the same time, there were other people that had these same ideas in different places kind of popping up. And I can't remember everyone. Every now and then I would meet someone and like, oh, I've been trying this too. And had contacted the band and kind of got the same sort of answers. And so it was like, I was doing my version of it while, you know, there was two or three other people doing something similar, trying to get something going. And 
there was some overlap. And, and during this period of time in 95, Jerry died. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an interesting thing because it's actually, it's very much related because as soon as Jerry died, Fish Tour just changed. Um, it's not a hypothesis, it did. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that were just on tour to be on tour went from that tour to Fish Tour. Mm-hmm. And in the fall of 95, you could just, you could feel the difference energetically. It was just, things changed. What and what was the difference, if you could describe it a little bit? It got a little darker. Mm-hmm. The vibe got darker. It got a little like that, like energetic, just sort of like, what's going on here? Like fish before that, to me, just the scene that was around it felt really, I mean, I hate to use the word, but like pure, just kind of like it was very much about the band and that community and the excitement that the shared excitement around this thing that we had all discovered together. Mm-hmm. And there's people that go there for that. And there's people that go there for for other reasons. And whatever you want to say around that, like there was that contingency that had attached itself to dead tour over a long period of time Mm -hmm. and it moved to fish tour. And I mean, not with the same volume, but it was definitely there. And so there's just suddenly there were people around that maybe didn't even necessarily know the band, but it was just, you know, just the vibe got weirder and a little edgier and more crowded and and just uh, crunchier, you know? <laughs> so what ended up happening, well, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but it's hard because it's not the most cohesive story, but that, I'll, I'll circle back to that part. So that changed in 95. And then I'm still doing my thing and trying to meet up with people informally. And in the fall of 96, um, we've gone through the Clifford Ball and tried to kind of connect with people. In the fall of 96, I was doing a couple of different shows and I was going to the Omni for Halloween. And I had gone on the fishnet and was like, this is going to, you know, we're going to have, like, let's all get together. We posted about we're going to meet behind the, behind the stage during set break. It was going to be really exciting because I was finally going to get to meet some people that I hadn't met before because it was a big show. And during set break, I was walking around trying to find this group of people. We were going to bring yellow balloons to find each other. and. Um, I feel like the story is getting so long-winded. It's <laughs> okay. Like the point. Okay. So I'm, I'm, we're going around looking and I see my roommate's girlfriend and I'm trying to find him because he was also sober. And I'm like, have you seen Martin? And she goes, he's at the table. And I was like, what table? <laughs> and she goes, the fellowship table. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, there's a table that way. And I'm like, you've got like, I don't understand. Like, this, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. And I go in that direction and I walk up and there's yellow balloons and a, like a hand painted sign that says the fellowship, which was like, again, like, like three years earlier, the name that I had uh-huh. come up with in the car that night. And I walk up and I'm like, what is this? And they're like, hi, would you like to <laughs> doing like the pitch to me? And I'm like, I don't understand. And then like, I end up talking to this guy and basically what ends up happening was these guys were part of those, like, you know, the twos and threes around that were trying to do the same thing. And they had contacted the band at a moment in time where they were like, you know what, we've had enough people that have brought this up. Let's give it a try. We'll do mm-hmm. a trial run. And like, I had been like years before, it's not like they'd saved my name. So it's like, mm-hmm. these guys came on right. and they're like, we want to do this. Somebody had already come up with a name back in the day. They want to, let's call it the fellowship. And you guys can go and do these tables. And so they gave those guys four tables on that tour in the fall of 96 as a test to see how it went. So I was just like over the moon, not to mention I had front row center through the the Ticketmaster lottery for that. So that was a big night for me. In fact, that they had like seats. So I gave the guy my information and I was like super excited. And I went back and, you know, was doing my yammering on the fishnet. And in January of that year, that guy called me or maybe wrote and said, the band is going to let us do a whole tour. We're going to, they're going to let us come on tour Mm. in the spring of 97. And you said you'd help. We need some help. And Mm -hmm. so I came in at that point and started working with bringing, like trying to pull all these people that I'd been meeting online to fill in and plug in at different shows. And we started working together on that. And I can't remember how exactly it all like kind of stacked out, but but basically we we put together a little like kind of committee of people like webmaster and you know all these things and mm-hmm. got it all together. And it was literally like the day before tour started. We had like one table. The first show was the only one that we didn't have filled. 
and there was a there was some dead related show up there and a guy was at a war frat table and found out about it and so we plugged this guy in like on the very first show and he's still around today wow so that was how we started off in 97 full time on tour and we've been on tour ever since that's amazing um, the, the circle back part was that once i got more involved and started coordinating tables and and working on a you know organizational level I reconnected when I like actually connected with the fish office about like coordinating things. I, we, we had a conversation about like, yeah, I, you know, tried this few years back and nothing happened. And, and they had made the comment that, you know, they really did try to kind of stay out of it for a long time. But, but when that torch, like when Jerry died, Mm -hmm. they noticed a change in the scene and actually got concerned about what was going on. It was like, okay, we might actually need to give this a try now. So that's how it how it all played out. And then, you know, as we know, as time would go on, like now, <laughs> Trey is a fan of our, of our thing as well. And yeah. Um, yeah, we've gotten a lot of, of real, I mean, it's just been amazing support all along. I mean, and that's, that's kind of what's so cool about it is it's like, it was, you know, always meant to be and still is available for people that want it or need it, but it's not, it's never like trying to come get you to join, you know, right. that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, so what's it like? Like if somebody is at a show and goes to the table, like what happens there? Yeah, totally. There's how the fellowship started off and and the way that it's operated and kind of like what it's like in, you know, this modern days with the internet, because we didn't have a lot of that early on, you know, in in the early days, it was a lot of letters and phone calls and things like that. We had a Yahoo group for a really long time. that's actually still there. So I feel like now, like these days, the answer is it's a little twofold because there's kind of like the fellowship it shows and then there's the fellowship online. Mm -hmm. But as far as it goes, it shows it's really, really simple. We have a table inside, similar to the water wheel table. It's just a table, a couple of chairs. We have our signage. And basically what happens is whoever's interested, a lot of times it's people that are maybe in recovery or maybe it's people just trying or, or like sober curious. And sometimes it's people that just, don't use for whatever reason and you know like to be able to be around other people that that they know are, are clean and sober. So generally speaking, a lot of times people that are associated with the fellowship will come into the show, come to the table, hang out. It's really like a meeting point primarily. That's it. There's not a, you know, there's no woo-woo stuff that goes on or, or much. It's really just a way to be able to find each other and gather and have community. A lot of times people will meet up at the table pre-show. And if you're new, you can introduce yourself. Generally speaking, there's a kind of internally organized like place that fellowship people like to go dance. There's so they can kind of work together like where you're gonna go and hang out. And mm-hmm. that's pretty open. Like whoever wants to come can go. And so it's kind of coordinating where your spot's gonna be. And then we have volunteers that are at the table during the show. So there's always at least one to two volunteers that kind of tag team. So that while the show is going on if there's somebody that like might be struggling for one reason or another, somebody blows a puff of something in your face, maybe you're fighting with your girlfriend, like whatever's going on. If you're feeling like slippery, you know, you've got someone, someone somewhere that you know that you can go and find and talk to. So a lot of times people like, if there's just something going on, you can just kind of go and chill out and connect and just have a bit of an anchoring point. If for some reason you feel like you're struggling And then the big event that happens is during set break, there's a a meeting. It's not a 12-step meeting. It's not a recovery meeting. And we are clear to emphasize like the fellowship is not a recovery group. It's not like we don't have a program. It's literally just a, a place to provide community at a fish show for clean and sober people. A lot of the people there do programs, but we're not doing that. And and the reason for that is like, we can't, we don't have the structure. We're really about the show. And if we're not on tour, then, you know, but there is a meeting that takes place. So it's a really informal meeting. And it's just kind of like a, an opportunity to share. And people just talk about, you know, sometimes there's a topic. It can be about like, if you're struggling during the show, maybe it's gratitude for being able to be at a show and remember it or whatever it is. So there's a meeting that lasts during the set break. And then people split up and go about their way. And that's really it. So it's really just a way to find people and connect. Now, that's the the mechanics of it. What happens beyond that is all the cool stuff where there's relationships that are formed and friendships. And, you know, there's so much of that happens in the fish community regardless. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I'm still fascinated by how many crews there are. Like I keep, you think your crew is the crew and then you meet a whole other crew and you're like, how is that crew? You know, like, but we're the crew and, and it just goes on and on. And so it's kind of like the sober crew and it has that same effect. You're getting together and coordinating to go to shows together and, and all of those beautiful things. And, and that works well now, like synchronously with what's online, which is the, the biggest community that we have at this point is, is on Facebook. And there's a, a fellowship group on Facebook that I think is pushing like 8,000 members. It's, it's gotten really big over time and there's some regulars in there. And I mean, sometimes it can, you know, digress into like addicted to fish vibes of like all this, <laughs> any online community has its segment, but there's a lot of really beautiful sharing there and people talk about their milestones or struggles and, and connect and, and coordinate to be together on tour. And are there still yellow balloons at the table? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so we awesome. have a banner and um, there's always yellow balloons. I mean, that's, I'll, I'll just jump into the, another direction around that just because it's such a cool thing, just how this stuff keeps growing. Yellow balloons, you know, we got that from the wharf rats. That was what they did. And the fellowship borrowed from that because it was an easy way to find wharf rats that were on, on fellowship um, fish tour. But what's happened as a result of that is that's kind of become the calling card of like sobriety out in that world. And and I'd say in the music world, but it's actually gone beyond that now, which is pretty cool. But once the fellowship got going and we got well-established, other bands that like as they got bigger and got traction would start to want to have this as well. And so at some point I got, you know, a couple of years in, I got contacted by someone from string cheese and they wanted to form something and they put together the jellyfish and then Umphreys McGee put together much obliged and then Mo had the happy hour heroes and widespread panic had the gateway and and all these things were starting to just kind of percolate and now like it's fascinating because I don't even know how many groups are out there now but they call them yellow balloon groups I mean the war frats are still around but it's kind of like if I was a jam band, I would feel like I had made it. <laughs> the yellow balloon group comes on. Um, there's one for Billy Strings now. It's pretty, pretty wild. And But then we also have someone that was from the fellowship, a uh, huge uh, Green Bay Packers fan and took the concept to them and formed a section yellow at NFL. And there was some recently some coverage around that. And so now yeah. they're looking at, you know, and I, I mean, who knows that could expand so that like sporting events now have it. And so it's That's pretty crazy amazing. to think <laughs> how it's all grown. Yeah. Yeah. That is I think so for cool. me, like one thing just to, to, that was a really, you know, having gone from like walking through that parking lot at like my fifth or sixth show and thinking for me, it was just like, Oh, I would love to find other people like me here. And that was really like, it was kind of my own self-interest of like, I want to find people to hang out with. And and that was the genesis of it. And one of the big turning points for me in the process that continues to happen now, is just like, it's its own thing. But when I started to hear about people, like when the fellowship had been around long enough, that people were seeing the fellowship and that that was their first introduction to the concept of sobriety and that they were like at a show and they came across the fellowship and found out what it was about. And that sparked the seed. And because of that, they went back to their community and explored recovery. And like, that was not, it was never meant to be, you know, a way to do mm-hmm. that. And, but then it's had that effect ever since it's been around, it keeps kind of just spreading in a way that like for the people that need it, you know, and that's, and yeah. I think that's part of why it's worked because it's never been about telling you what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Or why you sh- you know it's it couldn't be more passive in that regard you know we have no opinion <laughs> yeah. about that so you do you and if you need us we're here yeah that was something that I was curious about like what happens if you know somebody who is using comes up to the table and you know they are using but they're also like I don't think this is good for me anymore I'm really questioning this then, you know, are they able to stay and have somebody talk to them? And how does that... Yeah, totally. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like, I mean, there's been plenty... Of, like, I can remember this really cool story on one of the groups online a few years back where this girl was at MSG on a four-night run. And she talked, she talked about it in the group where she's like, I went the first night and I was completely screwed up. 
And then the second night I saw the table and the third night she like each night she got a little bit more. And so by new year, she decided to go sober. And like, then she, at that point she had like stayed sober and was like, so she kind of went through it over a four, four night run. Wow. Um, I mean, if somebody's belligerent and problematic, I mean, in mm-hmm. any instance like that, you have to get, I don't, I mean, I honestly can't even think of a, a situation like that where it's ever been like that, but there's plenty of people that, you know, pop up and put their beer down on the table. It's mm-hmm. amazing how many times when the table gets set up next to the beer booth, it's like a, it's like a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can remember, I think like, it was like the great wit or something. We were tearing down the table at the very end of the night and this guy straggled through and, you know, could barely stand. And I think somebody did fold up a newsletter and stick it in his pocket for, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the next day. You know? yeah. so, that's, that's about as far as we've gone as the, the <laughs> evangelizing. So it's a pretty special thing. It's it's done a lot of difference for a lot of people. And for me personally, like it was fundamental, like being able to get involved at that level at that age with my passion, it anchored me to that way of life. Like it was important for me to maintain that because I cared about this thing and it gave me a place to put my energy and resources into it. So it was, you know, I I don't know where I personally would be if I hadn't have gone that that route really, really fundamental to to me maintaining you know, keeping that lifestyle at that time and age and period for me where it was really important. So yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what is the like what's the live music experience like for you? Yeah. You know, because I do, I don't like I said, I haven't ever seen fish under the influence of anything, but I but I did do dead shows and I know what the psychedelic music experience is like. And for me hard to explain because it's kind of, it's still the same thing. I mean, and I think music affects different people differently, but when you're, when you're one of us, you know, crazy people that see the same band for 30 years and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's a reason that we're doing that, you know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people obviously use substances while they're at shows and it enhances the experience. But I think like, it's a testament to the music that it does its own thing. And so for me, like live music is a journey. It's meditation. It's a way to just be put into the present. And I think, you know, particularly with bands like Fish, when you don't know what's coming, it kind of forces you to be more in the moment. So you're really on a journey of exploration. You don't know where you're going to go and you're doing it with a group of people and you're all on this ride together. And you know, you get the sense that you're with other people that understand where you are which feels special because not everybody knows where we are (laughs) and not everybody can walk into that and know where we are in that moment. You know, whatever that song is, it's about to go wherever it is and how exciting it is that nobody knows what's going to happen. And then we know it's going to be good. (laughs) And um, so it's, it's still all those things for me. Like it's, it's nothing different. It's trip, it's an escape while also being grounding and anchoring to the moment. And I think like one of the things that, in particular, that's special and unique about doing this one thing for so long and like realizing it's been 30 years since I've been seeing this band. I think I was 19 when I saw my first show and now I'm almost 50. And my I've gone through a lot of changes over that period of time. My life has gone through a lot of twists and turns. And there's something about like whatever phase of life I'm in marriage, kids, jobs, all these things like popping back up at a fish show. And like, for me, it's literally just like the tone of Trey's guitar. Like it's this like anchoring centering point where it's like kind of like coming back home again. And it's like in the life of twists and turns, it's one of the few consistent threads that's still there that can still call me and speak to me and ground me. And so I remember there was a few years ago, I was I was actually in Mexico and there was a lot of really gnarly drama going on at home. And I was having a really, really hard time. And I think it was like Velvet Sea or something. I don't know what it was. It was <laughs> but <laughs> but I just had this moment of like remembering who I am in a way that I wasn't able to at that moment because there was so much that was going on. But I heard that and I'm like, oh yeah. Like, and I could feel that sound was like pulling me through all the different turns and twists of my life all the way back to, you know, whenever. You know, it's just a reminder. 
which, and you know, as I'm talking, I'm realizing I sound like I'm tripping. So now you know that it's really, I know (laughs) I really was thinking that I was like, wow, it's like a psychedelic journey without psychedelics. (laughs) So see, you can still have that same type of experience without using the medicine too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what, I mean, I think that's why a lot of other, I mean, like talking with other people in recovery, like it's, you know, it is in a way like the drug, you know, it's a where you can go and get that experience mm-hmm. that you may not be able to access in day-to-day life, but it still has that power. Yeah. Well, music is one of the, one of the top ways to send us to a transcendent place. Drugs can do that as well, but obviously we can do that without the drugs too. Yeah. And You know, I think for a lot of people and Terry and I have kind of talked about this before. And actually when we were talking about doing this episode, a lot of people come find out about Fish or other jam bands because of the party. You know, that was kind of like their way in. It's like, oh, these people are hanging out. They're having fun. Like I want to go hang out and have fun. And then they realize that there's this whole other world of music, which feels like home and offering all of these options that they may not have known were possible and back in their regular life where it's like, Things are a little more in a box. And, you know, because they came for the party, then they just keep partying because that's what they do. And then the music is right. part of the party. But as people age, like maybe that becomes less important or maybe that becomes less good for the body, you know, as we age, our bodies change. And so there's, you know, there's an evolution to it. And, I can imagine that it's harder to let go of it if that's always been a part of it. Kind of like you were talking about with the dead shows. Like it would have been difficult for you to go back to a dead show when you were clean and sober because that was an environment that would trigger you. But with fish, it was all new. And so you could like create your own experience. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I mean, for me, I feel fortunate that that's the way that it went. I think that was part of how I was able to be so all in early on. But I certainly know like having seen how the fellowship has grown, like it's, mm-hmm. and, and the same with the war frauds. I mean, it was like there for people that made that change. So it's it's definitely something that can be done. And the experiences that I hear, I mean, are similar to what I had from going from the dead to fish of like, it's a different kind of experience. But I mean, depending on where you are, whether good or bad, or like with any judgment on it, but it's it's different. And it's like, you're there for all of it, you know, because you were completely in your skin, alive and sober, good or bad through the whole thing Mm -hmm. without any alterations. And so a lot of time, you know, I think generally speaking, a lot of the experience for myself and others that I see that are sober, it's, you know, there's a better supply of energy. Sometimes there's the, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, where your car is at the end of the night, you, you wake up the next day invigorated, or, you know, you're able to go and and kind of keep moving. And it's the, it's almost like you kind of get to keep the experience with you because it was, you were there for all of it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that you just gave some of those options of like what it might look like if you choose to be clean and sober and how, how that might be able to even enhance your show experience and certainly your life too, if that's something that people choose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Instead of being like totally ragged at the end of a three or four night run, it's like, okay, let's, I mean, sleep is important too. So depending on how much sleep, sleep you've been getting. And particularly, yes, like when you get a little, you know, my drug of choice is ibuprofen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There may be some soreness. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I think that it's an interesting thing just in general with having a clean and sober life, like I'm the last person to have any judgment on anybody using substances. Most of my friends party and I just couldn't care less what other people do. But one of the things that's by the result of it's been 30 years of my life like this now, it is an interesting thing to just reflect back and be like, I was here for all of it. You know, like, I mean, and I can definitely like, find ways to check out on, you know, social media or, or music or whatever, you know, like you can certainly transcend or, you know, you don't have, I'm not, I, I w- wouldn't say that I was fully present for all of it, but I lived it all. Like I didn't, it's not good or bad, but it's just, it's an interesting way to reflect on life and just be like, wow. I mean, sometimes it's really like, I'm like, was I really like, <laughs> did, I, did I really do all of this completely clean and sober? And yeah, mm-hmm. unless I'm like sleep drinking. Um, <laughs> yeah. you're doing it yeah. yeah 
I mean, and I will say too, just like for what it's worth, if it, I mean, cause there's, there's people that make choices because they want to, you know, maybe I want to have a sober January or, you know, do a cleanse or change my situation for a period of time or, you know, whatever those reasons are. But then there are people that do struggle in, in deeper, stronger ways where there's more of an addictive nature and compulsions mm-hmm. and feeling like you are lacking control and that you are starting to not have that choice. Mm-hmm. And that's a really scary place to be. And that's, it's a bit of a different animal, so to speak, when you're in that situation, because there's a lot of different reasons that people want to be clean and sober. But when you're in a situation where you probably need to be, or your people are telling you that you need to be, or that you need to like back off or, or lay out and, but you're finding that that's not so easy to do, or maybe mm-hmm. you think you're doing it, but if you, you know, really look, maybe you're not. Or if you ask um, people around can, you, they might say that you're not. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it can be a really scary place to be because, I mean, when you're dealing with full-on addiction, the whole point of it, or I mean, what identifies it is that you don't have that control. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really scary thing to be in a place where you kind of want, you know, maybe you want to be able to have that control, but you don't. And there is a perception in getting clean and sober, you know, which generally requires some help if you're at that stage, that you're going to lose all of these things that you don't want to give up, you know, whether it's the escape or the freedom or the fun or the, the, you know, those kinds of things. And what I can say, I mean, it's been my experience and what I see is like, there's, it's not a loss, it's a change and it's a shift. And you end up finding things coming into your life that are maybe better than you would have thought that they could be if you do what's required. I mean, that gets kind of into like, you know, more of like recovery oriented things, but just in the context of this, like, it's not just like the idea of like going to a show sober can be like a lifestyle choice, but also like for someone that is maybe like terrified of the idea of being sober, doesn't feel like they have it accessible. There are, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people at this point from the fellowship that are a testament that it absolutely can be done. And that it's, most people I think that you would talk to in that organization say that their experience now is way better than it was. It's one thing to like go and party and like have some assistance to an experience that you're having and then go about your life. It's another thing if you're doing it to excess, if you woke up somewhere that you didn't mean to be, if you crash your car on the way home or get a DUI or ruin your relationship, like that's a different territory. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're in that situation, there are resources that are out there. And when it comes to the fellowship, that gives you a place so that when you're ready, you can go back to this place that you love and have an amazing experience. And it's fully, fully within reach. I love that you brought all of that up. Thank you so much. Yeah, this whole episode has been so informative and inspiring and helpful. And I know that there's people out there that are sober curious or having a desire for recovery or whatever it is. And you're making them see that it's possible. Not only is it possible, but you're going to maybe have an even more amazing time than before, which a lot of people don't think that's possible. So thank you for shining a light on that. Yeah, totally. Well, and Paige, would you like to share just quickly about like what your... um, What are you looking forward to hearing, Tara Lee? Yes. No, what you were saying. I got I piggybacking on the excitement of what you were saying. I'm just making sure say. we're on the same page. I don't know what you guys want to talk about. <laughs> like, where are we going now? I think, I think there are two thoughts. They're both equally important, but I think I know where you, Tara Lee, are. And I'm going to hop on Tara Lee's train. So Paige, you are an incredibly talented musician and songwriter in your own right. And you've done a lot in the music industry. I know you worked for High Sierra Music Festival for a long time organizing. I would imagine you've done other organizational efforts in the music industry. Why don't you tell tell the people as they've all grown to love you so much through this episode, like how they can experience you and your music? Oh boy. Okay. Is that what you were going to ask, Harley? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just kind of like noticing that you guys don't like, you don't even have to finish sentences and you know what you're talking about. You're like, she's like, oh yeah. She's like, okay, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So with my passion for music, I've also always gravitated towards playing music and writing. Let's see. I don't even know where to go with that. I mean, I'm in the Bay Area and well, you, cause you mentioned the organizational thing. So I'll just say this. 
because of my love of music, I've always tried to be around it in whatever way I could. And so after I graduated, I started trying to find jobs in music. And I've always just managed to like back then it was like searching the paper for the word music and, <laughs> you know, just I love whatever it is. And so I've done a lot of different things in different sort of professional jobs, but that all tie back to being around music in one capacity or another. And so I've been really fortunate in that regard. And so I fit in this world in different ways my entire career. As far as performing goes, I, you know, always gravitated towards playing when I was little and did a little bit of it in high school. And it was kind of something similar to like when I got clean and sober, I got, a, I was kind of like a little scared of it for a while. And it's a different experience. I mean, again, that whole like being fully present, like talk about like stage mm-hmm. fright and things <laughs> like that. So I was pretty nervous around it and insecure with my music when I was, when I was younger. It took a long time and it, it wasn't really until I was in my mid to late 30s that I kind of hit a place where like it was easier to do it than not do it. Like I just was feeling so compelled. And so I started writing again and met some other people. And I mean, it's kind of the whole other podcast to get into my own musical journey, but some really amazing things have happened since then. So yeah, I have a couple of different bands that I play in and... I used to play... I mean, I, I put together a record. So I do have a record on Spotify. Uh, it's called Firefly. I released that record in the great room at Terrapin Crossroads. And that was a really amazing night. That's a like Terrapin, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Super sad loss there from the pandemic. But what I'm doing right now here in the Bay Area is singing with a couple of different bands. Um, I sing with this funk soul band called Molasses. It's we call it jamified funk. So it's <laughs> it's like meters and dead and it's it's a it's a bunch of different things. But then I this past year and a half, I've been working with this really fun project. It's a Pink Floyd tribute with eight members, and it's a very authentic representation of Pink Floyd, which is just really fun. And so I'm I do vocals for that group. It's called Pete Floyd because we have two members named Pete. <laughs> uh, we actually have a show tonight. Oh. And uh, so I'm going to get in the boat and <laughs> go over there through the rain in California. So yeah, here in the Bay Area, Pete Floyd, Molasses, Page and the Clementines is my own band. I have a record called Firefly on Spotify and all the other places. And um, yeah, that's kind of it for me with the the music side. That's, you know, the journey there is a different story, but... Yeah. And this also may be a longer question, but what is it like to be a clean and sober musician in the jam band scene? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting because as a musician and as a, just somebody working in the industry, I think it's, you know, it's funny because a lot of it goes back to the fellowship and like those early days of like getting my, um, my sea legs, I guess, maybe in terms of like, there's no better training for dealing with life being sober than like learning how to navigate the fish world clean and sober. It's kind of like, it's like if I can roll with that and like have the right bolstering, I can kind of go wherever. So I think I got so, you know, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing to think about, but I think there's a lot to that. Like the community that's there that just really kind of shows, like trains you to learn how to be in these environments and not be impacted or how to take care of yourself in those environments. And so you know, working in the music business, I've just been around so many things for so long and I know how to take care of myself. And I will say there's like that, there's like the midnight to 1 p.m. time. Like there's that time at the night when the party just shifts and you mm-hmm. just like feel it in the air. And that's like, you know, Bedtime. unless you got a really good conversation <laughs> going, it's time to go. Yeah. You know, when people start like, yeah, I mean, and I, and I can totally be in those environments. I just like get a little bored, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. like, I say that's typically when I peace out too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From the musician side, it's for me, like looking back and reflecting, I think part of why it took me so long to get comfortable with it was because of dealing with my own demons, so to speak, around it and just not having some of those buffers to kind of like mm-hmm. check out. And mm-hmm. so I had to really get to the place where, like I said, it was like, it was like more painful to not be doing my art. Mm-hmm. That and once I started, it was fine, but it was like these own hurdles that I had, and it might have been d- different if I was just like, oh, screw it, you know. But I also may have like ruined things <laughs> that way. Yeah, so who knows? Yeah. So sometimes I, you know, I think it's taken me a little bit longer to get over like some of the nerves, kind of things. Now I'm like super comfortable 
it's just another big happy place for me. Like just like being on stage and performing is like one of those times where I really feel like myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so being able to define that, you know, and find those things where I'm like conscious enough to know that it's happening. Love that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with or share with us before we let you go for today? Oh, I wish I had like a, a little nugget. Um, <laughs> You've shared so many. <laughs> Well, I will leave you. I will leave you with this in case it's not known. You probably have seen this, but as it relates specifically, well, actually, to this whole yellow balloon community, this is a good thing to know about. We have like a, a like a catchphrase. Maybe you've heard it, or maybe you've seen it. But people wear little yellow stickers too to be able to find each other at shows, and it's borrowed from the recovery concept of like that. If you, you know, and it's it's a concept that works for all things in life, whether you're in recovery or not. But the idea of one day at a time, like whatever you're dealing with, you just, and sometimes it's one hour at a time or one minute at a time, but just break it down into little chunks and you can get through anything. And so in the yellow balloon community, it's one show at a time. Mm-hmm. And so when you're out and about at a show, if you see a little yellow sticker, you can know like that's somebody that you, you know, if you're super curious, that's someone you could talk to. And if you're not, you can still give them a, a fist bump or, or whatever. We had, there's always candy at the table because people have sweet tooths. And so that's a, that, that's your nugget. If you're All looking right. for candy at a show, go by the, uh, the yellow balloon table. Well, Paige, thank you so much for sharing. I, I got so many goosebumps as you were sharing the story of just how the fellowship came to be. And like, it just seems like it was just meant to be in the world. And thank you so much for, you know, really helping to create it and to birth it, even though you <laughs> like it, it came to be and you, it was a different way than you thought it was going to be. Totally. So yeah, that's which so is cool. part of the magic. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so thanks, for, thanks for uh, the platform to talk about it. I lo- like, I love the whole Genesis story and sometimes it gets kind of buried. It's like, we're so like, you know, it was like when there was like twos and threes and four people at the table and now it's like this big thing. And so yeah. I love to be able to have the opportunity to talk about those early days because it, uh, it was a really unique thing to be a part of. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you being here. And uh, everybody will be right back. Thank you. Hey, everyone. And we're back. And I am... Just so inspired. Paige is such an incredible human. And I feel like, like we said, it was like a whole like sack of nuggets, golden nuggets that she gave us in that interview. It was so amazing. I know. I loved hearing the origin story of the fellowship. Like I've known Paige for a while now and I had, I never heard that story. I did not even know how it came to be. I just knew that she had a part in starting it. But like, that's so magical. I love it how that happened. Yeah. And it's such a good lesson in that like, even if things don't work out the way that you want to in the moment, that oftentimes they end up working out and even better and more magical than you ever could have imagined. And that sounds like that's exactly what had happened for her. Yep. And it also... I I can't remember what interview this was that this was brought up. But like the fact that ideas are just kind of like floating outside of ourselves, waiting for somebody to like catch them and actually put them into action. And I feel like this is a great story that exemplifies that as to like, there were a lot of people who had the same idea. And it's just about the right timing of connecting with the band in a time where they were kind of catching the idea (laughs) and actually, you know, putting it into action. Yeah, that was so cool. And just how like the community that has been created because of this idea that a whole bunch of different fans had and then the band was like, okay, cool. And then it started to come into fruition. And now it's like, I mean, I see them at every show. There's the table with all the balloons and I see the stickers all over of one show at a time. And I've seen people gathering at set break and it just seems like such an incredible, beautiful, supportive community where like, no one feels alone. And I love how there's also like someone at the table at all times. So you know, like even when you're in the show, maybe like something is going awry and you don't feel okay. Like she said, someone blows smoke in your face or spills a drink on you or whatever it is that you can go there and get support. It's just, it's our safe space. And this is now allowing people that are like struggling with addiction and in recovery to be able to have a safe space to be able to enjoy live music. And that's what it's all about. 
Yeah, totally. It is. And now it's like 20 years later. And how freaking cool is that? It reminds me of, you know, we interviewed Ashley Driscoll of GrooveSafe. And like, I wonder what it's going to be like, you know, 17 years from now with GrooveSafe right. really being at a lot of shows and a lot of bands picking that up. I f- yeah, I feel like it will kind of be the same story. And like, it's just so heartening to see fans taking care of other fans and really just like not forcing anybody into anything, but just really being there to say, hey, we want you to really be safe here. We want you to have a really good time. Because as we've talked about so many times in this podcast, it is about the feelings of safety that allow us to have those super transformative experiences. If that level of safety is not there, then we can't go there. Like that's a basic need that needs to be met before we're going to go anywhere deeper than that. 100%. So I love that there are really kind and caring and thoughtful people that are making this happen and and like because it takes effort this is not easy and nobody's really getting paid to do this it's just like a volunteer effort that is helping our community yeah and it was really beautiful to see how like non-judgmental page was too mm-hmm. like it's like if you're into partying you party like you go for it but if you're not i'm here for you yeah and i love too how because you know we started the episode and where we come from is like, we're not fully sober, you know, but we consciously party. And so that was kind of the, just to say that like, there's all levels of people really considering this, whether they're like full on addiction and either they're noticing they're having a problem because their life around them is falling apart or their friends are telling them that they have a problem or it's just like somebody who is wanting to be more conscious and fully present in their lives. And they're like, you know what? I don't really think that alcohol is serving me anymore. I don't really think that my drug use is really serving me the way that it did before. And I want to make some changes to that. So I like how she really highlighted the... This doesn't have to just be about somebody who's like sober curious. Like this could be about somebody who really is in the throes of addiction and really needs serious support through therapists, through community, through rehabilitation. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'd love to speak about something a little bit deeper in the... Did you know? So I considered bringing up, you know, all of the kind of other organizations from different bands that are similar to the fellowship, but I feel like Paige did a great job in in mentioning those. So if you are not a fish fan and you're wanting something like this, then please go back to the main episode and listen to Paige kind of describe some of the main bands and and knowing that the bands who <laughs> if they have one then they've made it. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. But what I would like to say is is actually something that I have found really interesting. So we don't really know why addiction happens. We don't understand just like anything, whether it's nurture or nature, right? There's different reasons why we develop different things in our bodies, such as addiction to drugs or alcohol. It could be hereditary, of course. And there's also usually a part of the environment that's going to also turn it on. So just because we have this gene inside of our bodies does not necessarily mean that we're going to develop addiction. It tends to happen because of other causes. And one of the things that researchers have really showed a correlation between addiction with is loneliness. And of course, you know, we loneliness became a really huge theme throughout the pandemic because we were all so separated. And of course, if you lived alone, that's going to be a totally different experience than if you are living with a partner or with other people. And of course, we saw the rates of addiction and of drug use really go up and of death from drugs go up. So I just wanted to say that loneliness can be a causational factor in or a correlational factor. We don't actually know know if it causes it, but we do know that more and more people with addiction also report being lonely. So we know that there's a correlation there. And 
obviously live music is a place where people come to connect. Like this is where we find our crew. This is where we form our family. This is where we really feel such, such deep connection to other people. And because we know that that is so important, not just for the risk of addiction, but also in overall health as well and life satisfaction, it's important to continue those activities that you can really feel deeply connected to another person. So I love that these organizations such as the fellowship are still allowing people to be able to come to places where they feel connected to others and do it in a way that can also sustain maybe a new lifestyle choice for them. So of course, a lot of people, the reason that people, that addiction is correlated to loneliness is because people cope with loneliness through drinking. And then a little bit of drinking can turn into a lot of drinking, can turn into an addiction. So as people are are working with that, they can still come to places that they can feel connected to people and they can make new friends and connections with people that are living a lifestyle that is more in line with what they want to live currently. Yeah. Actually, that brings up something that Paige had said where she was like, I think it was when she went to her first fish show and she was sober and she was like looking around for people like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is really filling a need for people. We need connection with others and we also need to take care of ourselves. So yeah. yeah. So thank goodness the fellowship exists and all the other organizations so you can have community and be able to work through this at the same time. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about this for... Daily Jam. Okay, so if you see someone in your life or at a show who's struggling, I just want to ask that you just let them know that you're there for them because people won't get help unless they want to get help. But sometimes they think that nobody is there for them. So just let them know that no matter what, like you're here, there's no judgment. You're just there to support them. Because like Leah said, a lot of times this like, it makes it worse from loneliness. So if you let someone know that they are not alone and you're there for them, maybe you will even like go to a show with them and support them. This could mean the world and be life-changing to somebody. So just be that person, that beacon of light, that support, that community for someone so they maybe don't feel so alone. Then at the same time, if it's you who is struggling, I know that it's so hard because when you are struggling with something, so often it feels like you are the only one in the world that is feeling this way. But just so you know, you are not. There is a whole community There's so many communities of people out there that are also feel similar to you and can relate. So I just want to ask that if you are struggling, maybe you're sober curious or you were in the throes of addiction, to reach out to a community. So maybe it's the fellowship. Maybe it's one of those other bands that you like. Maybe it's AA. Like whatever it is, just reach out to a community so you can start to feel less alone and part of something and see what happens. Yeah. Just open the door. Just a little bit. Yeah, because we love you. We do. We do. And we want you to be happy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Charlie. I love that. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing the Did You Know? Yeah, for sure. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. And... We love you, all of you, so much. We're so appreciative of you being here. We're super grateful to be here for a whole another year, 2023, with you. We have lots of really fun and exciting things coming your way this year. This is going to be a big year for Groove Therapy. So get ready. Get ready. Put your seatbelts on because you're about <laughs> to go on a wild ride. <laughs> yes. So more about all of that soon. But for now... Take good care. We love you lots and we will catch you next time. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We so appreciate you. And if you did love this episode, we would love it so much if you could share it with at least one friend that you think might love it as well. So just send it over to them 
let them know what you loved about it. It could just be like, hey, check this out, or one word about how it inspired you. Also, wherever you are listening to your podcast, if you could just click that follow button right there, that would be super awesome. That helps to let the platform know that this is a podcast worth listening to. And also, if you are listening on Apple Pod, if you could not only follow us, but also leave a rating or a review, it would mean so much to us. That, again, is how more people are going to be able to find out about this podcast and really start to open their mind about the intersection between health and wellness and live music and why this experience is so important for our health and our well-being and our longevity. So again, thank you so much for listening. We are a part of Osiris Pod. You can find many more inspiring arts and music podcasts at OsirisPod.com. And if you would like to follow me, Leah, or Tara Lee, you can find us on Instagram. Tara Lee is at Rocking Life with two underscores, and I am at Dr. Leah Taylor. So come follow us there. We love you so much, and thank you again for listening.